there anybody out there? You know, it's a question that um, most people in the world ask at some point, right? Is there anybody out there? At least you should. I don't know how you go through your whole life and never wonder if anybody's out there. I, I don't know how you could, but I, I would imagine people do. Uh, but to ask the question, is there anybody out there, is a great start, but then you've got to answer the question. Every one of us in this room has to answer the question, is there anybody out there? And if so, what am I going to do next, right? What am I going to do about that? And what does he want from me, or what do they want from me? How does is, how is this fit into my life, my world? And so that's what we've been kind of digging into the first couple, uh, or a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to share two points with you today, okay? Two points with you this morning. The scriptures declare God is out there. The scriptures declare that, that God is out there. That God is out there and we can have a relationship with him. And, and so the first point that I shared with you is this, is that the universe itself screams God is out there. And we talked about different ways that we see that. Um, you can't go anywhere in this world like on vacation or to the ocean or to the mountains or to uh, the Grand Canyon where you don't see the evidence of God. It's just everywhere. You look up into the scars on a, or up into the sky on a clear night and you just see this mass creation of God in these galaxy up there that's just unbelievable. And the stars, it's just beautiful on a clear night. Um, and we see God, right? We see God's handiwork all around us in the trees. And, and then we see God's handiwork in, in people and how he's changing lives and how God works in our hearts. And, and if we were to like uh, slice open the human body, we would see how God like created us so, so detailed and so, you know, like just so like complex that, that, that all of it just screams that the creator is out there. Just amazing stuff. And Psalm, Psalm 19 says uh, this verse, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. You, can't, you cannot look around without seeing the glory of God all around us. Amen to that? Amen. And I know you could testify to that. You've been places. You've been to other places in the world where you have seen the evidence of God just in natural things that God has done. It's so cool. Well, today uh, we're going to talk about this point number two, and that is this, science. Science declares that the Creator is out there, and I, I love this little point right here. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple of um, groups of science, you might think about this with me. There's a, there's a group of science that says, you know, there is no God. Everything that there is, we can taste, touch, feel, smell, right? And that's all they believe. There's that that, that extreme of science that has no uh, faith involved in, in how they go about their lives and what they do. Everything has to be proven or it doesn't exist, okay? Then there's the side of science that is mostly about God. The bias is on there is a creator and everything that they, uh, that they see and study uh, is touched by the hand of God. And there's a bias on both ends, so we uh, willingly admit that, right? We know that. Then there's science, true science, we all know this, true science should, should be neither of those, it should just be an honest look 
at the evidence of the world, right? How things work, how things operate, the science of how the universe works, how our bodies operate, and, and, it, and science. So science involves the act of science, which is like, like uh, testing things and experimenting thing on things and trying to figure out like, uh, you know, how things work and how things operate and, and how things you know, continue to move and exist. So there's the art of science, and then there's the scientist, right? That's the person who puts in the hours and the study and the work and all the effort into studying the world that we see, trying to figure out how things operate, right? So there's the scientist, and, and scientists then make conclusions based on their findings on what they believe. And so for me, the, the most important thing is the scientist, the person who did the studying and what they came out with when they did an honest evaluation of things in this world, things that we know that are right and true. So check this out. These three scientists, Copernicus, Descartes, and uh, Galileo, all say after years and years of discovery, and, and their conclusion is, God is out there. Scientists. These are three well-known, recognized scientists that have lived in the past that all concluded by their discovery in digging into the science of the world and the art of science and experiment that God exists. That's pretty powerful, just these three guys. I mean, look at their names. We've all heard their names. These are powerful guys, but it doesn't stop there. A guy by the name of Albert Einstein Everybody knows Albert Einstein, right? You can't go anywhere in the world and people don't know about him, the most well-known physicist. He said this. He said this. The more I study science, the more I believe in God. That's powerful from a scientist, from a guy like this, from Albert Einstein, who, who, who understood the study of science and went about it in a very like neutral way to just discover and let the evidence show us what it has to show us. The more I study science, the more I believe in God. Sir Francis Bacon said, he's a known uh, founder of the scientific method, he said, God is out there. Maria Mitchell, who is the first female astronomer, said, God is out there. Check out this slide. Sir Isaac Newton, Sir Isaac Newton is the, the, the guy that we all recognize his name, but he's the guy who said that the clock, the clock, in our day, it would be the iPhone, maybe, uh, the, the clock demands a maker, right? Like, this didn't just come out of dust. Like, this didn't just all of a sudden out of a bunch of stuff on the ground, create itself. That's absurd, right? Like, that could never happen in a zillion years. I don't care how many years you throw at it. It's not going to happen, right? A bunch of junk isn't going to result in this perfectly working phone so far. I haven't dropped it in a toilet or anything, so it works good. But he's the one who said the clockmaker, you know, demands a maker. The clock demands a maker. And uh, he also said this on the slide. He said, gravity, talking about gravity, he said, gravity explains the motions of planets, but it cannot explain who set the, the motion or who set the planets in motion. And then he said, God governs all things and God knows all that is and can be done. Sir Isaac Newton, another scientist. How awesome is that, right? Scientists all over the place are speaking up for the truth of who God is. 
Um, Francis Collins, or Carl Sagan said, science is not only compatible with spirituality, it is a profound source of spirituality. That's pretty good. Francis Collins, the director of the National Institute of Health, said the God of the Bible is also the God of the genome. And the genome we talked a couple uh, weeks ago is, is the idea of uh, what, our, or what organisms are made up of. Our DNA is made up of genomes. And we, we said in the passage that Paul shared uh, that we are God's offspring. You know, that it's, we, are, you know, we are made up of the same stuff that God is. He created us in his image. We are his children. Like we are, we are his. He, we belong to him. We are his offspring. How cool is that? Well, Franz Nome, who talked about the genome, said, God can be found in the cathedral and in the, in the laboratory. And so he's pointing to the fact that God is, is evident in even science and the things we see. And then there's people like this, this gentleman, Dr. George Wall. He's a professor of biology, uh, biology at Harvard University. He said this. You can't read this. I'm going to read it to you. When it comes to the origin of life, he says, it's a bright guy, bright scientist guy. He says, we have only two possibilities as to how life arose. One is... One is, um, let me get this, one is spontaneous generation arising to evolution. The other is supernatural creative act of God. There is no third possibility. Spontaneous generation, he says, was scientifically disproved 100 years ago by Louis Pasteur and some other well-known scientists. That leads us, he says, to scientifically to only one possible conclusion that life arose as a supernatural creative act of God. Then he goes on to say, I will not accept that philosophy because I do not want to believe in God. Therefore, I choose to believe in that which I know is scientifically impossible. Spontaneous generation arising to evolution. And that's a scientist who honestly said, this is what the findings show. I'm just not buying it. I'm not going to believe it. All right, that's your prerogative, right? That's right. And what about this guy? You all know him? Charles Darwin, right? The father of evolution. One who created all, set it all in motion. This whole theory of evolution. Look what he says. I'm going to read um, uh, a section that he, that he said he said to, uh, in a letter, in letters to his uh, close friends, he said this, uh, that his feelings often fluctuated. He said he had a hard time believing that an omnipotent God would have created a world filled with much suffering. So an honest evaluation that why is there suffering, something we all, you know, ask from at one point. And he says, though, he goes on to say in his letter to his friends, but at the same time, he wasn't content to conclude that this wonderful universe was the result of brutal force. He's saying it can't be the result of a big bang. There's no way. It's too complicated. He said, if pressed to lab for a label, if you're going to label, if you're going to label Darwin, he said, label me an agnostic, not an atheist. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? On the slide it says, the possibility of conceiving, this is a quote from him, that this grand and wondrous universe with, the conscious, uh, cell, with, con with our conscious selves arose through chance seems to me the chief argument for the existence of God. But whether this is an argument of real value, I have never been able to decide. That's Darwin. That's a pretty honest answer, right? 
And he's the one that set in motion, for the most part, this whole theory of, a, of another way that we came to be. The, the guy who did that believes that there is a God out there. That's pretty, pretty insane. Some of the most famous, educated, well-learned scientists have concluded, who have answered the question, is there anybody out there? Their answer is yes, God is out there. And there are three big questions that we have to answer and ask that science cannot touch. The number one is, where did matter come from? Science can't answer that question. They have no idea where it came from. They can only take what's there and move forward. They can't tell you where it came from. What is consciousness? Science can't touch that. And what makes us human? Science will never answer these questions. Only God can answer these questions, right? So science, science points us to the creator is out there. And we talked last week about, or two weeks ago, about Paul. Paul declaring that the creator is out there. And our third point Paul wrote, in, uh, we talked about a passage in Acts 17, where Paul goes to Athens, remember, and he sees all these idols, and he even sees one <clears throat> to the unknown God, right? The unknown God. And so Paul proclaims to them what they don't know he's about to reveal to them. And he says things like, this God that you know nothing about made the heavens and the earth and everything in it. He said, this God, the creator of the universe, gives life and breath to all people. He doesn't need us. We need him. He created all things, everything, so that man would reach out to him and find him. And he's not far away, but he is very near. And Paul proclaimed to the, the people in Athens that God desires us to be his offspring. That's that word genos. And God expects us to use our minds to reason and to look around and to see the evidence of the Creator all around us. And then he says, Paul tops it off by saying, this same God sent his son Jesus to this earth, and Jesus died on a cross, he was buried, and he rose from the, get, from the dead, conquering death. And this, this God is very near to us. And Paul says, to all these smart people in Athens, he says to them, and one day we will all stand before Jesus and he will judge us. What an amazing passage that was, that Paul, Paul declared God is out there. God is out there, which brings us to the last point, and that's this. In Jesus, in Jesus, the creator is out there. Jesus, Jesus confirms this for us, right? He confirms this. First of all, the creation screams God is out there. Science declares, say it with me. All right, we're catching on. And Paul proclaimed... All right, so Jesus not only declares that God is out there, but Jesus declares that God is here. That's a big move, isn't it? That's a huge move. That's just not, is there anybody out there? But that's, that's the God of the universe saying to us, I just don't want to be out there. I want to come right here. I want to live in you. I want to live in you. Jesus clearly revealed that he was God. He clearly revealed that he was God, the creator of all things, the one who came for us. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, right? He said that. He said, the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. He said, I and the Father are one. Jesus declared that 
God has come very, very near. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it tells us that all that was made was made through Jesus. The Son, it says, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And without Jesus, it all falls apart. He is the glue that holds the universe together. He holds us to it, and He allows us to come and have a relationship with Him and he holds us to him. He has come, not only did he make everything, but he has come to dwell in us. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, right? That's what we, we claim, that we have come to know Jesus, and we have been crucified. We have died to ourself, and, and we're crucified with Jesus. It's no longer that I live. It's not me living anymore, but it's Christ living in me. And the life that I now live in this body, I live then by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God came for me. He came for you. Thank you. That's right. Thank you, Jesus, right? I mean, that's, that's the breath we breathe. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, to know that, that God is not just out there, but he has come very near. Colossians 1 says, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus has come to live in us. God who is out there creating everything, setting it all in motion, isn't content with just being out there. He wants to be right here, in here with us. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. I don't deserve that. You know, do you deserve, do we deserve the God of the universe living in us? I mean, I don't. I don't feel like I do. And yet he, he wants to because of who he is, not because of who I am. Because he made us in his image. And Romans chapter 8 says, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of the sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. I mean, God is here. God is available to us. I mean, he is available to all of us, to, to anyone who calls on his name. He, could, he would come and live in you and dwell in you. Isn't that amazing? Not only in Jesus is the question answer, is there anybody out there? But the one who is out there has come to live in me. I mean, that's amazing. What else do we need? I mean, what else do we really need? You and I can go and, and, and meet with him. We can know him intimately. Is there anybody out there is a, is a question that all of us have got to ask, and it's a question that we all have got to answer. Is there anybody out there for, for ourselves, right, for our own selves? And we can be like uh, George Wald and, and, and see the evidence and know the evidence and, and see what God has done all around us, and we can choose to reject that if we choose, if we want. God allows us to do that in our free will. But we must choose what we're going to do 
with who he is and that he is here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 talks about the fact that we must believe in God by faith. It brings faith into the, the, the conversation. And, and the Hebrew writer says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone that comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So faith, faith. We come to him in faith. And faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. It's what God has yet to do and what God is doing in the world that we don't see around us, the spiritual realm that God works around us. And so we come to him in faith, but our faith is not without evidence. This is not blind faith that we just walk through life just believing in something that we can't see, prove, or know anything about. This is faith that is based on not only evidence, but very strong evidence. Very strong evidence. The watch, the creation, the clock, the iPhone demands a maker. It did not just happen. Ben Carson said this, the likelihood of chaos or the Big Bang evolving into an orderly planet with life as we know it is equal to the probability of a hurricane crushing through and rising over a junkyard, resulting in the assembly of a perfect Rolls Royce, completely decked out, fully loaded, and ready for travel. Check out this picture. There's three things going on here. There's a pile of rubble after a disaster. There's a tornado that represents chaos. And then there's a nicely built house. God, God created the house. Chaos destroys the house. Science would have people believe that the chaos went through the pile of rubble and built the house. It's absurd. That's what, that's what evolution says. That this bang, this chaos, created order. And science has already proven chaos can never create order. It just cannot be. It will never happen. In a million years, I don't care how many tornadoes run over a pile of dirt, it's not ever going to make a cell phone. It will not happen. It's impossible. It isn't going to happen. It's crazy to even think you'd have to be a lunatic to believe it. It's completely absurd to believe in a Big Bang, that chaos created order. It takes much more faith to believe in that, and there's absolutely no evidence for that. And what this is, is the devil, who loves to deceive and lie, making up reasons why people can choose something else, giving people an option away from God, and then watching people take that option. See, the many who don't want to submit to a creator are looking for something else to grab onto. And the devil's more than willing to give you another option. Here's another slide for you. Check this one out. So there's the evolutionary process. So up in the top left corner there, you see, is this crustacean thing that we don't, you know, evolution can't tell you how it got there, but it's there. And there it is at the bottom of the ocean or mud puddle or wherever it is. And somehow there's life in that crustacean. And, and over time, over chaos, it, it's, it becomes a slithery thing. And it slithers its way out of the pond in the mud and onto land. And then that slithery thing at some point grows legs and, and goes upright. And then after millions of years, that slithery thing that became something upright turns into some kind of upright walking monkey or ape. 
and then grows an afro, like that, see that? And then, and then becomes me, then there's me, I'm next, I'm the next one in the picture, like you're the next one in the picture. Like how much faith does it take to believe this? Like there's so much faith and there's no evidence of anything in between any of these stages. Yet science wants to hold on to that and people want to hold on to that simply because they prefer to be blinded from the truth and do whatever it is they want to do. This takes faith. This kind of thing takes faith. Evolution, evolution, here's what it is. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. That's what evolution is. Science has done. Our faith is in Jesus, and it has solid evidence, the kind that would hold up in a court of law. The, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has more evidence in it than anything else. That Jesus rose from the dead, and the witnesses, the list of witnesses, the hundreds of people who saw him alive would hold up in any court of law and what Jesus said and the truth of who he is. The kind that should satisfy our need for proof. The evidence is there. Right? The, the creation screams it. Paul declared it. Right? The science tells us that God is out there. And, and Jesus proclaimed that he is here. The kind of proof that, that, that puts to rest the need for wild explanations or alternative options. Right, The lies from the devil. We don't need that. The truth will set us free. Right, The truth will set you free. The creation screams there's a creator. Science points us to the creator. Paul proclaimed, who once murdered people of the faith, by the way, proclaimed the creator, and Jesus declared that the creator is here. He is right here, right here, right now. And he proved it once and for all by rising from the dead. He's alive. He's alive. And we must answer the question, we must answer the question, is there anybody out there? Is there anybody out there? And in the words of Jack Sparrow, what say you? Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And we're so grateful, God, that, that you confirm over and over and over again that you love us. And that we can grab onto you, we can trust you, and we can live our lives, Father, for you. It's not just blind faith that we hold on to. Even though we, we battle wars and, and wage war in places that are unseen in, 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 in the spirit realm against people and the, the enemy and the devil coming up against people and spiritual forces of darkness. We know that's real. We see the evidence of even that. And God, we know that you're right there working, battling against those things, and you're, you want to work in us. You want to use us for your glory, God. But this faith that we hold on to in Jesus as Lord is a faith that is confirmed and, 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 and a foundation of, of evidence that we know without a doubt we can trust you. Based on what you've done, we know what you're going to do. And we trust you. We love you. Help us, help us in our unbelief. Help us to trust you more, Lord. We love you so much. Help us to share the good news that you have come and that you're just not out there, but you want to come very near right in here in my life and in other people's lives. Help us to share that with the world. God, we love you so much. Help us to find first our rest in you and then help others find their rest in you. God, we need you. We love you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.